Amen. Bless the praise team. What an awesome job they've done today. Amen. If you'll have your Bibles open with us to the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter, we're going to read beginning in verse 31. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about, we're just entitling Separation Nation. And as the things continue on uh, in our nation, I just feel like it needs to be addressed by the church. And as we spoke last Sunday, we talked about defeating racism. It's the, the spirit of racism. And uh, you got to understand that when I say the word nation, I'm not talking about, and the Bible is not talking about the United States only. It's talking about races, ethnos is the word nation in the Bible. And remember in Revelation, uh, the seventh chapter, we read last week how that heaven looks like every kindred, nation, and tongue was around the throne of God, worshiping and praising God. That that's what heaven looks like. That's what heaven is. That when people go to heaven, you're going to retain your language even. Your ethnicity will not be changed. And you are who you are because God created you and God made you. And uh, Satan has one agenda. He has always had one agenda, and that's to separate you. He wants to separate children from parents, from husbands, from, from wives, from race to race, nation to nation. His whole agenda is just to divide, to separate. And uh, Jesus revealed that to Simon Peter in verse 31. He said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. That word sift actually means to separate. Anybody old enough to remember when they, your grandmother or somebody used to sift the flour? Get the hard things out of it? And uh, that's what they're doing. They were separating that. And that's Satan's agenda. But look in verse 32. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. Can you think of anybody that you'd rather have praying for you than Jesus? He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, Jesus is telling him that, that you're going to go away from me. But when you return to me, use that experience that you've had to strengthen your brethren. But look what Peter says to him in verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter thought he could, or he wouldn't have made that statement. But uh, he was not as strong as he thought he was, was he? Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you'll deny three times that you know me. And then Jesus says something real strange that I don't know, in, in 34 years of preaching, I don't know if I've ever even talked about this from the pulpit. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, knapsack and sandals did you lack anything they said nothing then he said to them but now he who has a he has a money bag let him take it and likewise a knapsack or your backpack and he who has no sword let him sell his garment and buy one for I say to you that that which is written must still be accomplished in me and then he begins to quote the prophet, and he who was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. 
So here the Prince of Peace is telling his disciples to go by swords. Why would he do that? Why on this night, the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, Jesus tells them before, you don't need anything. You don't even carry money with you. You don't need a backpack. You don't need anything. But now he tells them, get your money back. Get your backpack. And if you don't have a sword, sell some of your garments to get the money to buy a sword. So why would Jesus do that? We're going to talk about why he told them that in this message today. Amen? Amen. All right, turn. You can't hug nobody, but we're doing air hugs now. So just kind of do this at somebody or wave at them. Turn around. We've got visitors and folks in here today that we had not seen in a while. Just come on. Just bless them real good. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. We're glad to see you guys here. Appreciate you being here. And, and uh, so we just thank God for you. The message Bible, the message paraphrase uh, of verse 31, I thought is so good. It says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. And it, that says it so clearly. And that's Satan's agenda is to just separate us from one another. And that's what's going on in our nation now. Uh, you know, pastors have asked me even of lately, you know, what do you think about what's going on? What do you think about this? I had lunch with a pastor Friday uh, from another city, and he asked me the same, what's go what do you think about it? And I said, you know, the thing that's heartbreaking to me is just the separation uh, that's going on, the division that's going on, and that's Satan's agenda. And, uh, you know, we have a different response we don't react like the world's doing but we respond and we respond with grace we respond with the word of God uh, I love Acts chapter 17 uh, Acts 17 verse 26 and 27 it says and he's talking about God has made from one blood every nation again the word nation there is the is the word ethnos where we derive our word ethnic from or race so God is saying he has made from one blood everybody say one blood one blood, every race of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose, and God has an agenda that he is working if we will yield to it. Can you say amen to that? And he has pre-appointed times. We were talking the other the day while I was talking with somebody, you know, and he said, well, it's a very difficult time. It's trying time. It's, it's a difficult time to be even a pastor or or in a lot of situations by what's going on. But, you know, I said this is occurring on our watch. You know what I mean by that? It's occurring in our lifetime. God had pre-appointed us to be here. So we are equipped by God for the task that's at hand. It says that pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, in verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. That's how you just see what's going on. People, they don't even know what they're looking for, but what they're looking for is God. God's the answer to everything that they're all upset about. God's the answer for that. It says that they, they, that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. God's not far from us. He's right there and he's available to us. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. Let me just read that. Paul, he's talking about the division here that was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles and how that, that, that they was this thing to separate them. But he says in verse 14, talking about Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Jesus didn't come to give you peace. He came to be your peace. 
And he said, he is our peace who has made both one. He's talking here specifically about Jew and Gentile. And he's broken down the middle wall of separation. There's that word again, that separation, that Satan's agenda. What, what is the middle wall that had separated? Well, what he's talking about, and he's going to tell us in verse 15, is the law. Having abolished in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Why was that an enmity? Not because the law was bad, but because the law depended upon man's perfect obedience to it. And no one ever did obey the law fully except one man, and that was Jesus. Amen? And it says, the, uh, so as to create in himself one new man. Now let me tell you, the, the new man that Jesus created is not a hybrid. Jesus did not Judaize, uh, uh, he, no, he's not talking about this. Jesus didn't Judaize the Jews and, he, and uh, 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 the Gentiles and he didn't Christianize the Jews. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's not a hybrid. Jesus made one new man. In other words, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new what? Creation. Not an old creation with a paint job. He is an absolute new creation. And look what he says. He's made one new man from the two, thus making peace. Peace with what? Peace with God. And it says that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. How's he doing it? Through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Now, I don't have time. You keep on reading about that. And he talks about that and gets real specific about how that we were once alienated. We were without God in this world, far away from God. And, and then he said, but you have been brought nigh by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And you still hear Christians, you know, trying to say, well, you know, we'll get that guy to pray for you. He's close to God. You ever heard that? Or you have Christians that will spend prayer time and, and will try to get close to God. How are you going to get close to God if the blood of Jesus didn't get you there? What benevolent thing will you do? What, what, what act of, of uh, sacrifice will you offer that will make you closer to God? Can a Christian really get closer to God? No, you can't. What's made you close? The blood of Jesus. Stop trying to get close to God and just start thanking him that you've been made close to God by the blood of Jesus. Now, I understand what you, listen, I understand that you don't feel close to God sometimes. Sometimes I wake up, I don't even feel saved. Really? I mean, your throat might hurt you. You might not have, you're having a bad day. You're having a headache. I mean, you don't wake up just, you don't wake up every morning. You know, some mornings, you pray, praise God this morning, but some mornings you wake up and go, good God, this morning. Already. <laughs> I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do this. You understand what I'm saying? I understand that you don't feel close to God all the time. You don't always feel, but that's feelings. But that's not where you are. Where In, in your spirit, you are, the Bible said, if any man is born again, it says you are, Paul said you are one spirit with the Lord. Your spirit, born again, has been joined with the spirit of Christ. If any man be in Christ, why did God put you in Christ? So he could treat you like Jesus. That's why you're in Jesus. God put you in Christ. And you can't be far from God. You know, praying to be close to God, I told you, it's like you right now. You say, well, let's all, you know, start praying to be close to this building. Wouldn't that be foolish? Because you're in the building. You don't have to pray to be close to the building. You're in Christ. 
You're, you're in Christ Jesus. And, and so, again, it's just, it's just stuff, it's just churchy stuff sometimes that we hear and we get caught up in that. And, and what you believe determines how you act, what you're going to do. There are people that use these passages of Scripture here to teach and believe that this Scripture is actually showing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this thing, but to, to show that, that God gives Satan at times permission to attack us. In other words, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Simon, Satan has asked that he might have you. The word ask that they translated ask into English for us is a very weak translation. It's actually a Greek word that means to be demanded over for trial. And, and so, so how, how could Satan demand that Jesus hand Peter over to be tried or to, to, you know, to, to come under this, this test? Well, now listen to me. You've got to remember that when we're reading this, this is pre the cross. This is before the cross, before Jesus has gone to the cross, before he has died and applied his blood, in a, in a, you know, and before we are in the new covenant officially. You understand the New Testament don't start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, right? The New Testament begins when Jesus Christ was resurrected, when he gave his life and God received that sacrifice and he raised him from the dead. And so that's when the new covenant goes into force because a testament or a will, the Bible says, cannot go into effect until the person has died. Are you with me? And if you don't read your New Testament Bible in that way, with that understanding, you're going to get extremely confused about some things because Jesus preached the law to those that were under the law. Galatians says that. Jesus was born under the law. Jesus preached the law to those that thought that they could be justified by God by observing and keeping the law. That's why Jesus brought the law to its intent and high level. Jesus said, you have said, you've heard it said that, you know, that uh, if a man, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he said, I say to you, if you ever looked at a woman and lusted, you're an adulterer already. How many knows he elevated it right there? He said, now you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, if you've ever hated anybody, you're a murderer already. You know what he did in that moment? He made everybody that listened to him an adulterer and everybody a murderer. But there were some sitting there before saying, I've kept the law. I haven't ever committed adultery. I haven't ever murdered anyone. So Jesus was, was declaring the law. In other words, he was showing them the impossibility of you keeping the law to get right with God. In other words, you need a Savior. You need somebody to keep the law on your behalf, and that's what Jesus was there for. He, he came to, to keep the law on our behalf and to extend that as a gift to us. And that's what he did. But there are people that use this passage and say, well, you know, God uh, gives uh, Satan permission to attack. Let me ask you this as a parent, or if you're a parent or grandparent. Would you give permission for a vicious, vicious enemy whose only agenda is to steal, kill, destroy, permission to attack your kids? Really? But you think God would do that? If you wouldn't do it, why do you think God would do it? You're saying you're a better daddy or mother than God is? You see how foolish and ludicrous that is to, to, to say that? And, and, but it's, it's taught often in the church. It's taught where God gives permission for say. Listen, the Bible says that God come, Jesus Christ was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, not to partner with them. Listen, Jesus called the devil the thief. So if God gave the thief permission to steal, you can't call him a, th a thief. 
because he's working off of permission. You understand? That's why we call somebody a thief because they took something without permission. Are you with me? So you see how foolish this is. The Bible says that when you're born again, you are now the temple of God. No, you're not. Paul said that you're the temple. And that Christ dwells in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to me. Listen to how this stuff is so stupid. If you just really look at the Bible. So if, if you're the temple of God, if we're, if we're the temple of God, individually and collectively, and Christ dwells in me, for God to give Satan permission to attack me is literally him giving permission to the devil to attack Jesus because he's in me. Do you see how crazy that kind of stuff is? This is prior to the cross. So, so, so you got to understand that, that Jesus warns Peter that Satan has this agenda. And it actually says that, that he, has asked it, he has demanded over trial. He has asked that he might sift you, separate you. And listen to me. The word you there in the Greek that is translated for us into English is plural. So he's literally telling him that Satan's agenda here is to separate all of you this night from me. And he wasn't talking about just physically for a moment or for a night. He was talking about to separate them relationship-wise. And that's Satan's agenda. That's really the, the impetus behind the spirit of this COVID-19 thing. It's to just separate people from one another, separate you from God, separate you from church, separate you from friends and family. Come on. And it has done that to some degree. You have to agree with that, right? It's separated. And I understand people are afraid and they don't know what to believe and they hear this and they read that and they don't know who's telling the truth and what's actually going on. And what. But we do know that, that the agenda of the enemy is to separate you. And so it's not enough that the enemy would try to capitalize off of a, 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 a you know, and what it is is just bringing the spirit of fear. That's not from God. But, but so now that wasn't enough. So now we, we, we've got to, to raise up, try to separate the, the races. And, and, and best I can tell, it ain't slowing down none. Just had another tragic thing happened in Atlanta. Police chief resigned immediately. I don't blame them. <laughs> they don't pay enough to be under that kind of pressure. You know what I'm saying? But so, so we, we see the enemy. You know, do you understand that like, like Ron Parsley used to say, that you know, there's a devil loose on the planet. This is not heaven yet, right? We're not, we're, you know, we're ambassadors for Christ. We, we represent that. We, we, we're, we're citizens and saints of a different kingdom. But we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen? And, and so that, that's his agenda through so much of this. It's just to separate people. But I want to tell you something. Why on this on this night, uh, you know, God's not giving Satan permission here. And, and God's, God never works in partnership with the devil. And God doesn't use the devil. He, he, he used Christ to do what he came to do. Uh, you, you, and and I'm not, I don't have time to get into this this morning. Uh, but you've got to understand this. Psalm 115 Verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Now, remembering the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan says to Jesus in Luke 4 and 6, 
He says, all this authority. Remember, he took him up in the spirit and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and their glory. And he says, I will give all of this to you and their glory if you'll just bow down and worship me. Because this is what he said, for this has been delivered to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Is that what he said? So Satan says, I have authority and I have control over all of this. And, and you remember what Jesus said about Satan? He called him the prince of the power of the what? Air. You don't think he's still using that today? You ever heard of media? Now that doesn't make every single person that's in the, in the field of, of media evil. But I want to tell you something. Satan is using, you understand the power of words? They have life and death. Words. The Bible says have life and death. So if, if you have power of the air, airways to transmit death, then the enemy agrees with that. You, you understand certain things are attracted to certain things. It's kind of a gross example, but if you, you don't have to pray for flies to come to a dead carcass. They'll come. Just throw something dead and watch the flies get attracted to it. You know, go look at your trash can that's sitting outside and see if there's not flies buzzing around it. You understand? They are attract. There's something that attracts them to decay. When you declare death, negative, the, the, when you speak those things, there are, they are, they are things that are attracted to that. You understand? But, but conversely, when you speak the word of God, that, that's why I was feeling it so strong this morning for somebody in here while they were singing. It was on that second song. And, and I felt it so strong out of Ezekiel 37 where the Spirit of the Lord pulled up this prophet Ezekiel who was depressed, who, who was, didn't even have the strength to stand. And, and it says the Spirit of the Lord lifted him up and set him down in a valley of dry bones. And it says they were very many dry bones. And, and then it says this, and they were very dry. It's like, my God, we get it. Now, if you, you know, if you got a dead person there, you could kind of believe that God could raise somebody from the dead, maybe. You'd, if you could even extend that kind of faith, well, yeah, God could raise them from the dead. Let's pray for them. But when you do, all you got is bones scattered, ain't nobody coming to pray for the raising of that. In other words, it's hopeless. There might have been a day, but it ain't today. And then God sets him and he, and, he, and, he's, and he carries him on a tour all around the valley full of dry bones. And these are human bones. And God says to him, can they, son, can these bones live? He, he don't even have the faith to answer God. In other words, he's scared to say no. Really, that's, that's my opinion. But he don't even have the faith to say yes. He just says, Lord, thou knowest. In other words, only you know. <laughs> I can't even answer this. Only you know what's, what's going on here. This looks so bad, so dry, so impossible I just better not say nothing. Only you know. Lord knows. You ever heard that? Lord knows. You know, you look at a situation. Oh, God knows. Lord knows. Lord knows. I told him. Lord knows. I did. <laughs> and he said, you got something to do about this. It's like, what, God? He said, speak to the bones. Now, this looks so foolish to world folks that don't know how the spirit and kingdom works. But he says, speak to the bones prophesy to the bones and so he tells him won't you declare what you want to see 
Why don't you say, why don't you speak the opposite of what, now your eyes, all your eyes see is death, dry bones, and impossibility. But your heart with God sees the word of God. Why don't you just speak out the opposite of what you see with your natural eyes? And so he starts to prophesy, and he said, bones, you shall live. You shall, you shall come together. Flesh shall come upon you. Sinew, muscles, strength, ligaments, and tendons, and you shall stand upon you. And so he starts prophesying all this. And it says when he started just saying those foolish words to man, it says there was a noise. You know who makes the loudest noises in church is when two dry bones start hitting on one another. <laughs> that just slipped right out before I thought about it. You get two dry bones, boy, you can make a racket, but people covered in flesh, you can't, you ain't going to make much noise. Sometimes we get scared because of the noise. Sometimes you start praying and prophesying and speaking things that, are, that, 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 that God wants you to, and, and the first thing you'll hear is noise. And then it says there was a rattling. But then it says this, but then there was a coming together, bone to bone, ligament to lig tendons and muscles. And, and then he says, won't you now prophesy to the wind? Who was he talking about? That's the Holy Spirit. He says, come, O wind, and blow upon these that are slain. And the Bible said an exceeding great army stood up in the middle of that valley. Now, it was prophetic. I understand the specific prophecy here is about Israel and the nation that, that, that everybody thought was a, was a dry bone and could never even exist. That's what God was saying to Moses that day when his people was in 430 years of bondage in Egypt and, and they were slaves and, 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 and God shows him a bush that burned yet it did, was not consumed. That was Israel. They were on fire. They looked dry. They burned and, and they should have been snuffed out and gone but they were still there because God had declared them so. And there's things in your life that could be so dry, so disconnected, so impossible. But you got to do more than just say, oh, Lord, you know. You have to reach down in the Word of God and begin to declare what God says that it should be, that it will be, and that it can be. And we got to do this for this nation. we got to move in the opposite spirit that this world is moving in. We've got to say things out of our mouth, whether we're recorded or whether it's on Facebook or whether somebody listens or not. But in our time of prayer with God, and in our, we we got to prophesy to the bones. We got to we got to call and say, "Come, O four winds, blow upon this nation that is slain. Come, God, let us come together again. God, remove this dryness from us. Remove this separation that has happened to us, scattered, bone to bone. God knows how to put it back together." God knows how to put this nation back together. God knows how the wind of God to blow upon this nation and, and, and cause a move of God. Which you talking about transformation movement. God's always been a moving God. You've got to understand that, that God gave authority to Adam, but Adam gave that to Satan. But thank God the last Adam came to take it back, and he did. And he was successful, amen? Amen. There's a lot of times when I preach grace and talk about the grace of God, one of the things I'm always hit with, I, I may talk about it in the next few Sundays, you know, I always get here, this is most how often it's put to me, what about Job? <laughs> a 
like Job is the Achilles heel of the Bible for them. You know, they got, well, what about Job? Uh, uh, and, and I would say to you that the book of Job is one of the most misunderstood books in the entirety of the Bible. But I don't have time to unpack that today or talk a lot about it. But I have, and I have uh, wrote articles about that under that very title. So it's not a commercial, but go to that if that's bothering you. What about Job? Go to Dale Young, D-E-L-L-Y-O-U-N-G.net. And you'll, you can look through archives of our, our blogs and you can see that article. What about Job? You'll see all the, the scriptural proof there and, and where we address it, even in a, in a concise way in that article. But trying to read the Bible, listen to me, trying to read your Bible without an appreciation of the grace of God and understanding the finished work of Jesus Christ will leave you absolutely confused. You've got to see everything through the lens of Christ. We, we don't study the Bible to know the Bible. We study the Bible to know Jesus and the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. That's why people get so confused about the book of Revelation. They think it's the revelation of the Antichrist or the revelation of the tribulation or the revelation of this or revelation of that. They don't even read verse 1, chapter 1. The, the, the Bible says revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's his revelation. It's not John's revelation. John was given it to write it and give it to us. But the revelation is Jesus' revelation. And Jesus is revealing to us his revelation. And he speaks that revelation in the language of the Spirit. And so that's why it, it's so misapplied so often and so confused. And you got people looking for a tribulation and you got people looking for all these things that they've heard because people, man likes to categorize things in neat little packages and try to figure it all out that way. But you got to understand, Job made some stupid comments in the Bible. And God let him record, you know, in Scripture for us things that he said when he was in a trial and a test that were not true. And that's true of other people in the Bible as well. David said things about God that wasn't true. And so did many. And they're recorded. But just because it's in the Bible don't mean that you're supposed to go, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. And so what are you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the verse that says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Job said that in a hard time. And, and the Bible said that Job said, I had heard about God by the hearing of the ear. But now, now that I have, this is at the end of Job. He said, now that I have seen him, he said, he said I, I hate myself. I abhor myself. I hate the things that I thought about God. He attributed many things that Satan was doing to the work of God. And so you got to understand that, that Job lived after the Tower of Babel, right after that. But he lived before Abraham even came and was born. And Job makes uh, comments, he mentions Adam in his book, and he refers even to the flood. But he don't mention anything about God's covenant with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, and, and he doesn't mention Moses, of course, and the Exodus or the law or anything. Job didn't have a Bible. you got to understand, that, can, you, can you receive this? Job wasn't saved. Job wasn't born again. Job didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Job didn't have the, the, the grace of God indwelling him like we do today. And, and so the Bible tells us that, 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 that God came to destroy the works of Satan, not to partner with him. So, you know, I almost can hear Satan whispering to a lot of people, you know, well, you know, don't go running to God because you're in this trouble because God probably gave, you know, Satan permission to attack you. Look at Job. 
Listen, Job is only, listen, he's on, Job is only mentioned one time in the entirety of the whole New Testament. And uh, James chapter 5, verse 11, but I want to read it out of the Message Bible. This is what it says. It says, what a gift life is to those who stay on course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares right down to the last detail. Now, I want to tell you something. God cares about you, too, right to the last detail of your life. And, and, you know, I have preached it for years. I've declared it, and I have a real simple theology. God good, devil bad. You want to play a little game? Cancer, good or bad? Not from God. See how easy that was? That would just take away a thousand sermons you heard. God gave him cancer, you Walking across the street, getting hit by a car, put in the hospital for six weeks. Good or bad? Bad. Oh, I was walking across the street. God let a car hit me and put me in the hospital, and I had time to read the Bible and got saved. Glory to God. God didn't have nothing to do with that man running over you. Well, I got saved from it. Well, it just takes some things for hard-headed people to get God is the author of your faith, not the author of your pain or your trouble. Pain is not your savior. Trauma and death, that's not your redeemer. Jesus is. Last thing, I, I, got, I got to hurry. Why did Jesus on that final night tell his disciples who he had never mentioned anything about that, to go get some, buy swords. Do you know that I've heard preachers preach this and they said this is proof that everybody should own a gun? <laughs> Scriptural proof about gun ownership. And, and I've even heard of lately, with all the things that's going on, this scripture again, and that's why I'm pulling it out, is being revived by some who would write in blogs and threads and so forth to say, Here's some Bible proof that trouble's coming. Jesus was about to be crucified. He told them, you better get money. You better get your backpack. You better get your AR-15 or whatever, you, your Glock 40, because trouble's on the way. And we got people under the, uh, the name of Jesus saying that kind of stuff. I don't know. I ain't went and tried to buy him, but they say you can't even get no ammo right now in any place because they're sold out everywhere. Don't tell me that people ain't buying into all of this. We had in, even in our neighborhood last uh, last weekend, we had some vehicles that were were robbed, stolen. In, you know, you know the doors were not locked, but but people robbed, and they took seven guns. And 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 you know the guns were stolen, and it was just you know just to hear uh, people, neighbors, and people talk about it. You know, it's like. You know, you know, we're afraid people are arming themselves. You know, I was talking to, you know, one of the uh, people in the, in the development, and he said, if you're here shooting over here, I'm going to be shooting back. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have a gun. I'm, I'm not going to get sucked into the quagmire of that debate. All I'm saying is that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's all I'm saying. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about the Word of God. So Jesus tells them, you know that you need to you need to buy some swords here. 
Now, he's about to be arrested, so it can get, I can see where it would get confusing to people. But what you got to understand that verse 37 of Luke 22 says this, and Jesus says that this was a prophecy uh, from the prophet, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and Jesus said, and I will tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Uh, and, and so Jesus wanted swords, but then they, you know, is, and we don't know how long of a space of time, but when Jesus tells them to go get swords, the very next verse, they, they hold up two swords. And they go, look, Jesus, we've got two swords. Jesus said, that's enough. Now, there's other commentators that will translate this actually four different ways, but the consensus is that the proper translation is Jesus said, those two swords that you have, that's enough. Now, if he was going to try to match swords with that, them soldiers that he knew in the spirit that was coming to arrest him, two swords would not have been enough. But, they, but Jesus says, those two swords, yeah, that'll do it. That's enough. And then they leave and they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane there to pray. Now, Judas is the one, right, that is betraying him, Judas Iscariot. He's betraying him that night. And he has done sold him out to the Sanhedrin. And so they have sent a group of soldiers. Not only did soldiers come, but the other translation of the scriptures in the, the gospel say that people came with lanterns and with weapons. And the soldiers came armed with swords. And they came to arrest Jesus. And Judas said that how the, you really know that you're arresting the right guy is I'm going to give him a kiss on the cheek. The kiss of betrayal is known as. And so they come to arrest Christ, and, and, and so when Jesus knows that this is about to happen, uh, even down in Luke 22, verse 49, when they come out there and they see this mob approaching them, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall, should we strike with our swords? In other words, we've got the swords, let's pull them. And apparently they did. Now, we would not know through Matthew, Mark, and Luke who it was who cut off Malchus's ear. But John, you know, pulls the cover off of it and identifies the perpetrator as Peter. That doesn't surprise us, does it? <laughs> that Peter would be the one. And let me tell you something this. Peter was not trying to cut the guy's ear off, was he? What do you think Peter was trying to cut off the guy? His head. He was going for the neck. But the guy had the good sense to duck. And he lost an ear. In the Bible, in John says his name was Malchus. And Jesus actually, in, and this is what's amazing to me. Now, er, listen, everything in the Bible is there for a specific reason. And Jesus did not do or say anything haphazardly. And for Jesus to instruct them to get swords on this night, and two swords would be enough. He had a purpose and a specific reason for doing so. And so, do you really think that Jesus was looking for a rumble in the garden? I mean, do you really think that he, you know, I, I don't think so. The, the men who came to arrest him, they had swords, and one translation in the Gospels in another place said they had clubs. And if Jesus wanted to, to fight with them, two swords wouldn't have been enough to take on that kind of uh, an attack. But listen, Jesus was not looking for a fight. Jesus was looking for an arrest. Whose arrest? His own. See, Jesus wasn't found out there having a Sunday school lesson when them soldiers marched into the garden. 
He Listen, now, you and I, <clears throat> we read the Bible through kind of a Christian mentality, churchy, Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. In other words, but think, I want you to think about this scene, though, from a, a uh, secular, non-biblical, non-prophetic way. So when these soldiers come, and they've been drug out there by this Sanhedrin, these Jewish uh, leaders, but the soldiers come, they're going to have to have a reason to arrest Jesus. Now, if he's out there just teaching the Bible, he's not going to get arrested. Y'all following me? But if he's out there looking like their leader and they're armed and they're plotting to take over, you know, Jerusalem, then that's reason for, that's cause for arrest. They caught you driving dirty. You understand what I'm saying? You got swords on you. So when they go out there, Peter's done pulled the sword, and whoever the other apostle that's got the sword has done pulled, and they said, shall we strike? Now the soldiers come, and they see a leader, and they see armed guys, and that's enough right there to arrest. And when they see that, when the other disciples said, shall we strike swords, apparently Peter had already decided to, <laughs> being him, himself, and he cuts the guy's ear off. One of the most amazing things to me is Jesus would put that in, you know, the Holy Spirit would put that in the Bible for us. Why? And not only would he put that in the Bible, but he puts it, Jesus said, enough. Stop it. Now, John says that Jesus walked up to the soldiers and said, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. It said, when he said, I am he, it says, they all fell backwards. Benny Hinn ain't the only one can do this. And I don't mean that in a negative, bad way. I'm just saying the power of God can put you on your back. Or your front or your side or whatever. Some people don't understand that. But here's lost heathen people. They wasn't in a prayer line. They come to arrest him and they all fell on their back. Now, I don't know about you. You got to see the hand of God in this. But if I'm a soldier and I'm armed to the teeth and that guy just said, I am, he and the power of God knocked me down, I'm going to turn and go back the other way. I'm like, I'm not trying to arrest this guy. But it shows that God's involved here because they get back up and they ask again. And Jesus said, I ask you a second time, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I have already told you I am he. He said, now take me and let these alone. Take me. Oh, man, that is so prophetic. Take me, let them go free. That's what he said. That's what he did for every one of us. Take me. Put me on the cross. Let me pay for sin. Let me die for sin. Take me, let them go free. We sung it this morning. Him who the sun sets free is really free. Free indeed. Amen. Come on, give him praise for that. That's a good spot to praise him. leaving in the middle of my sermon how dare you my little sweet wife she's actually going to work bless her heart some of us one of us have got to work hallelujah but he says take them take me let them go Judas comes up kisses him just to confirm that this is the guy 
and they arrest Christ. The only reason Jesus told those guys that those two swords would be enough, it will be enough so that the prophets prophecy that I will be numbered with transgressors. That meant more than him hanging between two thieves. He, he had to be numbered as a transgressor. In other words, they, he was charged with that. That's what it means. He was charged as a transgressor, but he, he was not that. But Jesus, everything he was doing, he would often say, let this be done so that the prophecy may. When John didn't want to baptize him in the River Jordan, he said, let it be so that the prophecy can be fulfilled. Jesus was always, he, Jesus fulfilled over 400 prophecies of himself. You understand what the Spirit of God did? And, and, and so that, that's why he did that. And I want you to understand something. Because they had a pair of swords, Jesus was arrested. And, and, and listen, and because he was arrested, he was tried in a mock, horrible trial. And because he was tried, he was crucified. And because he was crucified, he died. And because he died, he paid the full penalty for all sin. And he brought in to captivity death, hell, and bondage. And because he died, he also rose again. And because he rose again, you and I have life in Christ Jesus. We have hope. We have an eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet, please? So don't, don't let anybody scare you with these verses telling you to go out and buy a gun. Trouble's on the way. I, I saw that this week, and it broke my heart. It, it's like we got so many people that shouldn't be talking that are talking right now in high places and low places. You know, Facebook has made everybody a publisher, an author, <laughs> a, a speaker. Everybody has a platform now, right, to say what they want to say, to print stuff and, and say it. And we know anything you read out on, on the media is true, right? No. You know, you may have to do, I don't know, maybe I'm just, but, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, well, did you see this and did you see this and have you heard about this? And I said, no, I hadn't. And I guess I look like I'm, you know, living. It's not that I'm scared. I just don't, you know, I'm just a whole, you know, I'm not much for people coming by my house dumping garbage on my lawn. So I really limit the news and the sources from which I get it. I feel like if it's, you know, if it's big enough, I'll hear about it. <laughs> It'll come across my, 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 but I don't spend a lot of time listening to the world's, you know, their words. It just doesn't do me well. I can feel, you know, that bad spirit coming, that anxiety or fear. That's not God. God said, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and joy, the sound mind. That's what God's given you. And so we, we got to move in the opposite. And when we speak, even though we may be looking, we may be in a valley, maybe a low place. You understand? Maybe dry bones, it may look impossible. And it, it could be something specific in your life. You know, can these bones live? Can this marriage live? Can this business live? Can this church live? Can this ministry live? You know, can, you know, can this live? Whatever this is, you fill in the blank. Can this live? Well, you can't just fold your hands up and say, well, it's up to God. Lord, you know. No, it's, it's not only up to God because we're to partner with him. And, and God gave you a mouth and a tongue to say something. To say what? To speak the word of God. Now, you may look foolish to declare, you know, but the, that's what the Bible says, right? It says, let the sick 
say, what? I'm healed. I'm whole. Let the weak say, so see there you are weak, but you're sitting there saying, I'm strong. Do you know how stupid that looks to lost people that don't know the God and the kingdom and the Bible? You know how stupid that looks for you to be sick and you to declare, you know, in, in, by his stripes I'm healed. But you're not healed. Well, I am. <laughs> Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I am. That's that. See, we move the opposite. You have to move opposite by doing opposite. And so you, 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 you do that. We do it through prayer. We do it, and you don't have to be like, okay, I got to cross my eyes and strain my face. I'm fit to prophesy. Why can't you just stop being weird to do spiritual stuff? Could we just do that? Could we just not have to be weird, weirdos? And I used to hear people, I'm getting a word from God. You know, like you got gas, man. Come on. Just say it. You don't even have to say it in King James. Thus saith the Lord thine. We don't talk like that. We're not living in the 16th, 15th century. It's okay if you love the King James Bible. God bless you. I've gone to churches where I've preached out a new King James one night, and the pastor came to me that after the service, you know, and said the deacon said, you can't preach, you know, except by the King James here. Okay. I, you know, that's good. I'm good. Good me. I'll quote it the new King James all while I'm preaching, but Okay. But I'll read out the KJV if that makes you Holy Ghost saved. You know, that's the Bible Jesus told. <laughs> now, if you think he told it that one, meet me in my office after church today. We've got some work to do. Let's, before we leave here today, God bless you for being here. Can we just pray for our nation? that we don't allow the spirit of separation to separate. You know, I care about what's going on in your life specifically, what's going on in your family. I, I, I see it all the time. I see it sometimes even in my own family where the enemy comes and tries to, and it's just stupid stuff on one hand, but it's big stuff to, to other folk, but he tries to separate us, try to separate. You know, there's times I'm trying to separate my children from me, grown children from me. I mean, one time I told my kids, you know, I said, man, you know, if y'all ever just say I'm done with you, Daddy, I said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find in your front yard. Now, I ain't never had to do that, <clears throat> but I've done pretty close to it. I said, but you know what I said? I've seen a lot of things in my family and my family up the hill. You know what I mean? Dad and granddad. I said, but there's some things I'm not going to lie in my family. I said, so you can tell me to, you know, go to heaven, take a U-turn or whatever you want to do. But I said, I'm your daddy. So I said, this is what we're going to do. If you ever do that to me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a pup tent in your front yard. And I'm going to go in that tent with a Bible and a bottle of water. And I'm going to fast and pray that this thing's broken until, until, until we, get it, we get it right. And, uh, you know, and I said, now, you, that'd be your yard so you can get the police drag me off if you want to. But I said, that's what we're going to do. And my, all, my youngs know I told them that. And, and they knew I wasn't playing when I said it because we was dealing with something years ago at that time. And I've had to go in my kids' house before when they were grown, and I remember, you know, loving them or kissing them on the cheek when they didn't kiss me back. And I've had to say I love you when they didn't even say nothing back. But you've got to know what's worth it. And you've got to see that it's not just that person, it's the spirit behind that that's trying to separate things.
And it may not happen overnight. But God will restore. Why? Because we have been given, the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation. That's the only ministry you have is the ministry and the ability through the Spirit to reconcile, to be reconciled to God, therefore be reconcilers to other things. Reconcile situations and family. Now, I understand there's people. I mean, I understand that. But, but, but you've got to understand that's the motive behind all of this. And I'm just saying to you as a pastor and a person that lives in the same world you do, don't let these things separate us. Just don't let these things separate us. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow suspicious. It really does. The longer you're away from talk to one another. We've got all these devices and stuff. And Ken was telling me the other day, you know, and he's, he's such a blessing about it. Just to shoot a little text and say, man, thinking about you. Love you. Praying for you. We got these devices and we get too busy to even use them for that kind of good stuff. That's good stuff to use just to boop, get a little text. Praying for you, Pastor. Love you. Is that, what's that going to do for you? That's going to make you smile. That's going to make you thank God. Just thinking about you, just praying for you, just believing God for you today. You know, and, and I ain't talking about some fake stuff. You know, people well remember me in prayer. They don't never remember me in prayer. That's why a lot of times if you ask me, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I say, well, what are we praying about? And I pray right then because I'm apt to forget it when we walk away. And it's okay to be caught praying in public. <laughs> it, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. And just to pray. You don't have to get loud. I remember one time I had this guy, I carried lunch, he was a mighty man of God, and I'd done heard about him, and he would go in a restaurant, especially with a, you know, pastor sometimes, he'd play this on him, and he was sitting in the restaurant, and, and he'd just say, he just, out loud, he, and I ain't saying, he did this, I taught, I, I know for a fact he did this, and he would just be sitting in a restaurant with this pastor or this man, and he would just say, I'm in love with a man, and then, I mean, talking about in a restaurant. And then, of course, everybody in the restaurant stops what they're doing to look what has this guy saying. And then he would just let it for effect. And then he would say, and his name is Jesus Christ. He, he would do that. So I took this guy to lunch at the Western Sizzling, and, I, and it hit my mind about the time we got in there, first time. And I said, Bob, and I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, outside the pulpit, I am a shy guy, man. I don't talk. I mean, I'm pretty shy. That gets me in trouble sometimes because now when I'm in the pulpit, I'm going after it. But otherwise, I'm pretty quiet and just reserved. So I said, don't do that, man. I'm telling you, I'll get, I'm walking out. If you, if, I, if you even start, I'm gone. And he, and he could tell I was serious too, man. I said, you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll way back to the motel with a taxi because I'll be gone. And uh, I, you don't have to do that. Hey, if that's your personality, do it. Just let me not be there when you do it. But just move with love, grace, and mercy. Just speak to dry bones and declare what God says, even though you can't see it now. Let's pray for the nation. Let's pray against this separation. Father, we absolutely are loved by you. And we thank you for your love towards us, that you would love us so much, this world, that you'd give Jesus. Now, Father, we rebuke what's going on in our nation, the violence all the things that are trying to separate us. Father, let us remember that we are one new man in Christ. We are a new creation, a new race that's never existed before. And Father, we pray that we would be your mouthpieces. 
we would speak. We would prophesy to the wind. We would speak to the bones. And when we open our mouth, it will not be with fear, dread, and confusion and doubt, but it will be with faith and purpose. We would speak, God, the word of God, your word. We would declare, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says about the situation. And so, Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for those that are hurting and have been hurt. And we pray that you would bring that spirit that only Christ dwells, unity, the spirit of unity, the spirit of reconciliation that is in the mouth of every one of these believers. May we speak that. May we pray that. May we prophesy that. May we declare that in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen if you agree. God bless you today. We love you. Go have a wonderful day in Christ. God bless you.